0: So the last portion of this morning's scripture, and you read all the way through the end of 21, is that correct? Okay, just double checking. All right, so we're in chapter 22 now of Revelation, and it says that, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord of God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen. The word of God.
1: This morning, we have done two things leading up to this message that I want to mention again briefly. First, we spoke about hell. and Second, we read about heaven. Eternal hell, in conscious torment, separated from God's love, joy, and rest, or eternal heaven... Enjoying the presence of God and the fullness of joy and eternal rest. One of those two destinies awaits everyone in this room and everyone ever conceived. We have gone through the book of Exodus for this single purpose. I want everyone in our church and around the world to know God. To know him in the fullness of his glory and his awesome holiness. And to be ready to stand before him. Exodus, the whole book, chapter 1 through chapter 40, gives us a picture of the danger of God's wrath. You see it poured out on Egypt. You also see it poured out on God's own people when they act in rebellion. And that picture is a warning of what hell will be like. And yet we also in Exodus see a glimpse of God's heaven. When we began this series, I talked a little bit, I think I did one, maybe two messages from the book of Genesis about how God creates a good world, how there's paradise. We just heard about that tree whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. That should make us think of of the tree of life that existed in Eden, that all that was lost will be restored and even better. But in Genesis... God creates a good world and he walks in fellowship with Adam and Eve. But since they sinned, God's glory has been hidden. Very few people have ever seen it. Almost no one before Christ knew God in a personal way. But Exodus reveals God in awesome splendor. He is the savior of broken slaves He is the divine judge of Egypt. He is the provider and he is the holy law giver. He is the fountain of blessing. And God took those broken slaves and he led them out of their bondage in Egypt. He led them through the sea on dry ground. And although they sinned and rebelled against him, through the ministry of the priests, And through the blood of bulls and goats, he covered their sin and he lived among them. For the first time since Eden, it was possible to point at a place and say, that is where you can go and talk to God. And if you've read or heard the messages as we've gone through this book about all of the smoke and the fire of God's holiness, about the terror of the plagues, you might think that God is harsh. And in one important sense, He is because He will not tolerate sin. His holiness is so pure that it would even destroy Moses. But the book of Exodus is a story of salvation. And today, we see a huge part of that salvation in our text. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, let me encourage you to turn to the book of Exodus. We'll be in chapter 40 today. And I'm going to read the first 15 verses and talk about the purity and holiness that God commanded. So my first point today is purity and holiness are commanded. Follow along with me as I read Exodus chapter 40 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony and you shall screen the ark with the veil and you shall bring in the table and arrange it and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy." You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So as we read this, I know it's sometimes difficult to imagine all of these things seem so strange and so surreal sometimes. But at the center of the camp, there is a throne room for God. And God tells Moses to set up that tent of meeting, that place where his glory would dwell. And he begins with the ark of the testimony. You remember that testimony is the record of the commandments that he gave them. So at the center of who Israel is, it's a holy God who has shown them what is right, what is wrong by revealing his law. So at the center of the people of faith, the center of God's community is the law because it flows from God's character. And God's presence is there in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And then he describes the veil that limits his glory so that the priests could minister continually. And he describes the, the table where bread was placed and the lampstand where light was always lit so that you understand that in the presence of God there is rich provision and blessing and there is light and goodness. And then he describes. The golden altar, so that you would burn incense and continually the people would offer prayers to God. So you can imagine fresh baked bread. You can imagine the smell of sweet incense. And you can imagine the beauty of light and the glory of the tabernacle as you understand that in God's presence there is goodness, there is richness, there is blessing. And that is because God is a good law, is a a good God, and that His holiness makes all of those blessings rich and good and pure. Here's the thing, and I've said this again and again, but it bears repeating. That law, that's a testimony to God's character, also served to condemn his people because none of us are good and holy the way God is. And so as God describes setting up the tabernacle... He describes the sacrifices of atonement so that the blood is sprinkled on top of the Ark of the Covenant so that sinners are able to come into the presence of a holy God. And the blood makes it possible for our sins to be covered and to enjoy all of the goodness of God and all of his fellowship. In chapter 39... We saw the people completed the work of God in building the tabernacle, the place where they could meet God. And now God commands Moses to anoint the tabernacle so that it will be holy and to wash the priests and anoint them so that they are fit to serve him as priests. And so the things that they have made Become holy. They pour oil on them so that they are pure, so that they are set apart. And he commands holiness for both the place and the priesthood, so that they must continually wash. So outside the tabernacle, there's the altar where the sacrifices are made. And if you walk further towards that great big courtyard, in front of the altar, there is the basin. So that the priests couldn't even come and offer sacrifices directly. They had to wash before they offered sacrifices. And then finally, the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle was in place so that no one would stumble into the presence of God and be destroyed by his holiness. God was approached only through the proper washings, only through the sacrifices that would cover sin. And his presence existed in the Holy of Holies for all of the people. So you see, purity and holiness commanded. God has promised to be among them, But in order for that to be possible, he commands them to do these things. And then in the next few verses, you see purity and holiness carried out, that they obey the clear commands of God so that God's presence can remain among them. So read with me verses 16 through 33. And it says, this Moses did, everything I just read that God commanded him to do, Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screamed the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting, opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil, and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished. The work We have talked about God's awesome glory revealed in the Holy of Holies where the law that reveals his character was kept in the Ark of the Covenant which was sprinkled with the blood. We just saw that Moses made the burnt offerings and the grain offerings. That blood, some of that was taken and sprinkled on top of the mercy seat so that although God's people broke his laws... As they obeyed him in faith, he forgave them and blessed them. And this is so important. What I want to make crystal clear to everyone today is that God does not save good people. God does not save good people. If you ask most people, do you think that you will go to heaven when you die someday? They'll say, well, I hope so. So long as my good works outweigh my bad works. And if I've just been good enough that God will accept me. That idea that you can be good enough for God to accept you, is a lie from hell. That is not true. No one is good enough to enter God's presence. And my prayer is that the picture of holiness that we find in Exodus would be burned in each of our minds, that we would have the idea that God is absolutely holy, that he is unapproachable apart from the blood of Christ. The only way... We can enter the presence of God as if our sins are covered by blood. And the tabernacle worship was a picture of that. There was light and bread to show God's goodness and provision. There was the altar where incense was burned to show the sweetness of God's blessing and presence that we could offer prayers, that he listens to them, that he answers them, that he takes delight in the prayers of his people. All of that was only possible Because the priests washed and offered sacrifices for the nation. So the people do what God commands. They anoint the tabernacle with oil and they anoint the priests with oil after the priests have washed. All that God commanded Moses, the people did. That is a huge statement. My prayer is that when the Lord returns one day, he would look at First Baptist Church of Holly and say, everything that I commanded them to do, they did. My prayer is that we would be ready for the glory of God that we read about in the book of Revelation Because we have understood so clearly that he has commanded holiness and purity for his people. And we are looking to Jesus, being more ready every single day as we long for him to return. And as God established his presence through the work of the people there in Israel, they saw the glory of God. Look with me. At what Israel saw, and I've made this last point, this, this, this is entitled the staggering glory of God. It's something that when you saw, you couldn't, just, you couldn't just yawn. You wouldn't just walk by it and say, oh, that's God's glory, isn't that nice? The staggering glory of God was so intense that even Moses could not enter the tabernacle. Read with me about the staggering glory of God in verse 34 through verse 38 here. Says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The whole nation could see the glory of God. And they knew that God was with them and God was there. And God's glory was so incredible that it would have destroyed even a prophet like Moses. Even Moses could not go into the tent when this cloud was so intense. And the Bible says, God lives in unapproachable light. And I like to think of that light. Think for a second. If you've ever seen someone welding There's a shop on Sherman Street that I drive by almost every day and they leave their big bay doors open and you can see guys with welders welding and right at that point of contact, right in the arc of the welder, it is so bright and in one sense it's beautiful but if you look at it, it will burn your retinas out. That light at the same time is wonderful. There's something incredible about its intensity and its purity. And that kind of intense purity is just a glimmer of what God's glory is like. And that glory is our future. And yet, our future is even greater than the glory of God shown in Exodus. We read all of Revelation 21 and the beginning of Revelation chapter 22 today because you see so many fulfillments of what God began to do in Exodus. You remember all those weird jewels that we read about that are in the priestly garments and all of the things that are included in setting up the tabernacle? Read Revelation and understand that the jewels and the gold that's described there is the actual image of what they were setting up as just a picture, as just a symbol, as just a representation back in Exodus, that all of the things that started in Exodus are finally fulfilled in Christ. And think for a second, the glory that existed in the tabernacle, okay, so if you remember when we talked about the dimensions of the tabernacle, when God first describes what he's setting up, I said, it's about 175 feet by about 75 feet. That means that our gym would fit inside it, but just barely. It's a little larger than the gymnasium that's at the end of the church. And the glory of God dwelled in that space. But when you read the book of Revelation, it's not just the size of a gymnasium anymore. It is a giant city with 12 gates. And the new heavens and the new earth all contain the glory of God. And there are no limits to that glory. And I think maybe one of the most staggering sentences in all of Revelation is that there is no temple. There's no temple in Revelation. It doesn't exist. Think for a second about the purpose of a temple. What is a temple for? It's a place where you go and meet God. And the tabernacle is set up so that sinners can make sacrifices and come to the presence of God through a priest. But in Revelation, because of the blood of the Lamb, there's no need for a single place to go and meet God because God is everywhere. Everywhere. His glory's not hidden anymore. It's experienced. The joy of the creation that he made in Genesis is fuller and richer than even Adam and Eve experienced because we know the depth of God's love because of the Lamb who loved us, who died for us. And we will celebrate the goodness of God for all of eternity. We will be full of joy. We will experience that glory in a way that even Moses will be blown away by. That's our future. There's no need for continuing sacrifices because Jesus paid it all. The blood of Jesus has once and for all covered our sin. God's people are finally delivered from evil. And the wicked who reject God's salvation are eternally punished in hell along with the devil and his angels. There is no evil contaminating the new heavens and the new earth and God's holy city. We will never again be tempted, but will for an eternity live in God's presence in the fullness of joy. And my question for you today, for each of you here, is are you ready? Are you ready? Are you living your life anticipating the coming of God's glory? Because the sad truth is, not everyone will enjoy the glory of God. There are those who are cast into the lake of fire. And so my question for you today is, are you ready to stand before your maker in all of his glory? When you stand before him, will you enter into the joy of his presence? Or will you be cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth? Are your sins covered by the blood of Jesus? And I'm speaking very directly. If you're here today, I believe God wants you to hear this message. And I don't care if you've been in church longer than I've been alive or twice as long as I've been alive. If you are here today and you are listening to this message, this is for you. I'm asking, are you ready to stand in the presence of God? Are your sins forgiven? Have you come to God and asked for his forgiveness? Have you pled the blood of Jesus to cover the crimes against your Creator? Have you spoken to God, admitted your sinfulness, and asked for forgiveness? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was nailed to a cross for you, that he was crucified for your transgressions, and that he was raised to life for your justification? And have you obeyed Jesus by being baptized, showing your repentance that you died with Christ, and showing your faith that you are raised to walk in newness of life? Are you saved And if you are saved, then let me ask you this, are you walking in obedience to him? Because the book of Hebrews makes it so clear that those of us who have trusted in Christ, because our hope is greater, the urgency of our faithfulness is also greater. That God will judge those who have tasted of Christ and walked away from him. There is real urgency. Do not think, I've been in church all my life, I know the gospel, and then walk away and continue to live as if you did not know God. The urgency is real. If you do not know the Lord and you are not walking with Him, do not think that because you prayed a prayer you know Him. Real faith always leads to obedience Always. So my question for you is, are you obeying? Are you living a holy life? And I mean two things by holy. Let me just give it a simple two-part definition. Okay, first of all, do you forsake sin when God reveals it to you? When you have lied, do you go and confess your sin to the person you lied to and ask for forgiveness? When you have stolen, do you go back and pay back what you took? When you are sexually impure, Do you confess it before God and the people that you have wronged? Do you ask for forgiveness? That's what I mean when I say, do you forsake sin? Do you stop doing it and seek forgiveness? That's the first part of holiness. The second part of holiness is positive. Do you obey him? Do you do the things that God has told you to do? Do you worship him with your whole heart, with your whole life? Do you worship him with the people of God? Do you spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you help support missionaries who are taking that gospel to people who have never heard it? Are you living a holy life? In Exodus, holiness is defined by purity. All of the things used for worship are anointed with oil and sprinkled with blood... And the people of God were only able to worship if they lived in obedience and kept themselves pure. If they were impure, they had to offer sacrifices. They had to wash. We also are made holy through the blood of Christ. And we also are anointed, but not with physical oil, but with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And we are being made holy by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And we as His people... Are spreading the gospel of the glory of Christ, and we taste His glory every time a sinner repents and every time a saint walks in obedience and becomes more like Jesus Christ. My question for you today, believer, are you walking with Jesus Christ? If you were to stand before Jesus today, would you be joyful or would you be ashamed? Would you cry tears of joy that your faith has finally been made sight? Or would you look away because you have wasted the life that God gave you and you are not ready to stand before Him? There is urgency today. And I want to ask you right now, here in this place, if there is sin in your life as a believer, Would you confess it to God and forsake it? If you need to make something right with someone else, would you be willing to go to that person today and say, I am sorry, I was wrong and I will do whatever it takes to make it right? And if you are not a believer, would you recognize the real danger that stands before you? That unless you confess your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, you will not enjoy God's presence you will be cast into the lake of fire. Those are the choices that stand before us today. An eternity in the fullness of joy in God's presence or an eternity apart from God. And so I'd like to have an attitude of prayer right now as I end this message, as I end this service. So, I want to invite you to close your eyes and to bow your head. And if you don't know the Lord today, let me encourage you To call out to him. The scripture says so clearly. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. If you confess your sins to the Lord. He will forgive you. He is faithful and just to do it every time. And so in the quietness of this moment. Let me encourage you to call on the Lord. And trust that he died for you. And rose from the dead. And believer, if the Holy Spirit has has convicted your heart, if the Holy Spirit has said to you today, you are not pure, would you also plead the blood of Christ? Would you also commit right now to obeying? And for us as a church, we need to passionately pursue the glory of God by spreading the gospel. Let us commit again to holding Jesus up high as our king. And let us not be ashamed of any of his words. Let us proclaim the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask that your holy spirit would grip our hearts and would not let them go. I pray that we would not harden them through forgetfulness. I pray that we would not believe Satan's lies. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Let us trust Jesus, our only hope. Lord, I pray that that faith would lead to obedience, that you would make us a holy people who are devoted to doing your will. Let us as a church... Put aside stupid divisions and sins that are so tempting. And let us run the race looking at Jesus Christ. Longing for his glory. Lord, let us see it. Let us see it as a church in sinners who are converted and saved. And may we see it in each other as we grow to the maturity of faith. As we are made more and more like Jesus. Father, I pray this. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, I ask you boldly because it's what you taught us to do. I pray that you would heal us as your people. Let us see your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name.